Um, do you know what? There comes a time as a parent where you kind of have to sit your child down and you have to tell them the really important things about life. You know, you've got to kind of have that conversation. You've got to point them to what is really essential to their maturity, um, to their growing up. You've got to share with them, you know, those sort of experiences that they've got to go through in order for them to become a man or a woman. <laughs> well, for me, that happened in 1977. That, <laughs> that, that was when I first saw Star Wars. <laughs> Any Star Wars fans? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but anyone not seen Star Wars? <laughs> oh, okay. I was hoping no one would put that. <laughs> Joe, sorry, sorry. I'll, I, won't, I won't have time to go through it all. <laughs> um, but who can forget the famous scene in the second episode of The Empire Strikes Back where Darth Vader turns around to Luke Skywalker and says, I am your father. <laughs> and we're all there going, oh, no, how, my goodness, that's amazing. It's horrible. <laughs> it was kind of like the mystery revealed at that time. Um, well, a few weeks back, <laughs> John T and myself, John T being my son, yeah, he said, look, Dad, can I watch the Star Wars series? And I'm like, yes, yes, you certainly can. <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought, well, look, you know, it's great. We can go right to the very beginning, and we can watch it all the way through. Now, for those, for Joe, <laughs> what happened <laughs> is that uh, episode four, actually called Star Wars, came out in 1977, but it was episode four, okay, which is a bit weird, and then five and six came out, but actually episode one didn't come out until a lot of time later. So anyway, I thought, look, we're going to watch, because they're all out now, so I thought, we're going to watch episode one all the way through tonight. So we did. And uh, eventually, eventually we got to episode four, The Star Wars, and I'm like, sitting there thinking, excellent, this is, this is the stuff, this is the real one, you know, this is the one that I grew up with that I'm really excited about. And, and so, and I'm thinking, yes, you know, one more, and we're going to get to that part where, where Darth Vader says, you know, I am your father to Luke which was the bit. And, uh, and anyway, um, I, I'm, like, um, I'm sitting down. We're starting to watch um, episode four, and, and there's this little scene where um, Obi-Wan Kenobi... Sorry, Joe, again, somebody you may never, ever have heard of. Obi-Wan Kenobi um, comes along, and, uh, and he's meeting and he's chatting with Luke Skywalker, and they're having this bit of a conversation, and, and they're talking about the past and the future, and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi says, um, yeah, and your parents, they died a long time ago which, of course, is what Luke had grown up believing. And at that point, Jonty turns around and says, he's lying. Darth Vader's his dad. <laughs> oh, my... No! The best bit has been spoiled just because we watched the first three episodes. <laughs> anyway, I think, I think, right, that God loves a good mystery, actually. <laughs> and what's more... I think that he has put it in the DNA of every human, that kind of inquisitiveness, you know, that sort of a real sense of excitement, of adventure, fascination, exploration. And perhaps, you know, we can see it a little bit more in children <laughs> um, than adults at times. Maybe as we get a bit older, we get a little bit more along the lines of, oh, I've been there, done that, seen this. And, but in children, you can see it, can't you, that real ex that excitement about the mystery 
Um, it is, I think, in all of us, actually. One of the things about being a Christian that has excited me and continues to excite me is that God calls us to seek him out. He says, seek him out and seek his kingdom out. Now, don't you think that is amazing? You know, that God actually kind of invites us into this game of hide and seek. He hides treasure and he calls us, go and seek it out. Now, if you don't believe me, um, you actually just need to look at some of the parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. He says it's like the pearl of great price. You know, that was where the merchant, like, I, I found this pearl. I've got to get rid of everything else now. I just want this pearl. I found it. It's that cool. Um, or there's the treasure buried in a field where it's like, you know, a guy comes along, I've got to buy the whole field because this treasure is, is in here. So this isn't about, like, the little hide-and-seek game, is it, that you might play with your young child. This is actually an invitation into a whole lifestyle of seeking. A lifestyle where, when you start on that adventure, you begin to realise, actually, do you know what? Nothing really else matters in comparison uh, to that. You know, it's a lifestyle as well where the stakes, actually, at times, can be really high, but the rewards for doing so are even greater. It says in Proverbs, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the honour of kings to search a matter out. What a great proverb. So I want to spend a little bit of time today looking at what a Christian explorer can expect on his or her journeys. And I think that's a good way of seeing ourselves. You know, we are Christian explorers seeking out the kingdom of heaven. So in case you are thinking I have gone kind of completely off piece, <laughs> let me remind you, as Neil has said, we are actually doing a series through the book of Hebrews and we're looking at what uh, um, it has to say about Jesus. Okay, um, <clears throat> And in fact, I think, you know, what we have heard from the other guys who preached over the last few weeks all sort of speaks into what it is actually to be a Christian explorer. So Neil started us off, he reminded us, didn't he, that Jesus is the great high priest and that he is seated in a place where there is no further sacrifice for sins necessary and he is continually interceding for us. And we can approach him with real confidence and boldness at any time on our journey. And that is a wonderful thing. Natalie, she showed us that Jesus is the better human and how he has revealed to us truths about who we are in him and how we can use his authority. Okay, so understanding our delegated authority and how we can stand in it is absolutely essential, isn't it, to where God is leading us. Brian, Brian pointed us to the fact that Jesus is the endurance runner. And not only do we need to kind of keep looking to Jesus as we journey, but we should make sure that we're not kind of held back by any, any unnecessary baggage that hinders our running. And, and he said, you know, to strip off as such. And I was really encouraged by Karen, who shared that brave word at the beginning, you know, actually talked about taking off your clothes. And, and then Brian actually went right into that to me. That was fantastic, um, prophetic confirmation. And then last week, Bola unpacked, you know, what it meant, what it really means to actually enter into the rest of Jesus and what this looks like and, and pointing to the fact that this is really a lifestyle for us, isn't it, where we, we kind of learn to, to hand over the things that make us unrested and instead we kind of receive God's supernatural rest. This week, 
I have been given the rather unusual, in fact, I asked for it, <laughs> the rather unusual and <laughs> possibly unsettling title for you of Jesus, Shaker of the Earth, and how we keep going. <laughs> um, when Brian preached on the endurance runner, um, he, uh, he started taking us into Hebrews 12 territory. Um, so today, my preach is going to kind of come out of Hebrews 12, there's a, there's a, and a few other scriptures. There's a lot in Hebrews 12. And I really struggled a little bit with this, because it's like, how do I get Hebrews 12 across to you without reading it all? And I thought, the problem with the preaching, the challenge with preaching is not a problem, it's just that I can't get the whole lot. You'll just get bored. You'll think, well, we're into a Bible study now, and it's not, I'm going to just give you what's hit me about it, rather than actually breaking it down into loads of detail. So... So having, started, having said that, I actually want to start off with just a little extract from Hebrews 12. So I don't know if you've got the first scripture there we can bring up. Hebrews 12, verse 26. Okay, excellent. So um, at that time, so Hebrews 12, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Christian explorers, you are being sent into territory where the creator is shaking the created. To a certain mindset, you know, this statement alone can produce fear. Hebrews was written to Jews who had become Christians and who were experiencing aspects of their world being really quite shaken. Okay, and understandably, they were really struggling with it. Their struggles were kind of different to ours, though. Their issues were more to do with the fact that they were being persecuted and the fact that they had been converted from the reliance on their Old Testament Jewish law and their traditions into the new way of Christ. That was, that was the reason for their persecution. I think our struggles are different in that they tend to be more based on the world's unbalanced reliance on human wisdom and science to fix everything that goes wrong, rather than including faith in God in the solution. Now, shaking in the world, it does raise some big questions, doesn't it? Why the heck would you create a world, make little tiny human beings who have no other frame of reference than the world that they live in, and then shake the world. And it, it kind of doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair, and it, it may seem as though it's unloving. And, of course, non-Christians can go one way on this. Well, the shaking proves that there is no God. Because he wouldn't do it that way, for the very reasons you've just outlined. And as Christians, you know, we can go a slightly different way. We can go, well, it must be the devil. Shaking comes directly from sin. The world is groaning. This is what happens from evil. Well, actually, I think that is true in part. Okay? But the idea that God would shake things, particularly if people happen to die in that shaking, that can be really unpalatable to us. Okay? But what if there is a type of shaking a God-ordained shaking that has a specific purpose. Well, Hebrews 12 says, actually, there is. 
and it tells us the reason for it as well. Last week, Neil, Neil shared um, a great picture, a picture that really resonated with me about metal um, being passed through a machine. And he said that he felt that um, during the service that, the, the, that we needed to enter into God's rest, and he saw this metal going backwards and forwards about three times, and he felt that that was our kind of slow immersion into what God was doing in our entering into his rest. And it resonated with me because during that week, I had visited a company that do something called shop peening, which is a uh, a metal treatment where they fire these metal balls at the surface of, of metal and it, and it actually does something to remove stresses off the surface of the metal. And then they, they put another process through and it removes contamination. I thought, what an amazing image that that is what, when we enter into God's rest, he takes, you know, he, he de-stresses us and he removes contamination from us. I thought that was a great picture. Well, as I was thinking a little bit about that this week, um, there's another process metal machining process that I come across in the nature of my work. Um, and that, it, it's done after the, the machinist has actually formed the shape. Okay, so you get a big chunk of metal, you put it on a machine, they cut a shape into it using all this clever technology, um, and then it goes through another process. Now, there's lots of different types, but one of them is called rumbling. <laughs> and the idea of rumbling, without going into any detail about it, is it actually involves shaking. It involves shaking off the temporary stuff to reveal what the precision engineer has wanted to get all along. Okay, I think that's a fantastic analogy, isn't it, of what actually God wants to do. So he's designing, he's come up with it, but there's some stuff I need to get rid of that. Let's put it through the rumbling process. God's shaking is for that very purpose, yeah? For wanting to reveal what is eternal as opposed to what is temporal. And, you know, we don't really need to say very much, do we, in terms of looking at the shaking in the world at the moment. There's plenty of apparent shaking going on. Human nature has a tendency of stuffing itself with everything else to distract and divert our attention from our mortal state and our need for God. You know, we are all experts, actually, in doing that. But it's in God's father heart that he will only allow that to happen and continue for so long before eventually he's going to step in and he's going to start to show and grab mankind's attention. You know, that is his father's heart. Now, it is tough stuff for us to hear you know it can be easy if that shaking is going on somewhere else in the world but if it's happening right here really close to home if we find ourselves actually in a, a, a place where there is shaking going on I mean that's a completely different matter isn't it but Hebrews 12 is very strong it says it doesn't want us God does not want us to fall and keep falling into a fear mindset when shaking comes along. As Christians, you know, we're encouraged to be humble, but at the same time, bold. You know, we're encouraged to be vulnerable, but at the same time, confident. Okay? To be servants, but at the same time, sons. You know, we're servants to people, but we're sons and daughters of God. Hebrews 12 has a big part of it where it says that God addresses us as sons. So I'm, I'm actually 
going to read something out. Um, and uh, I want just to, you know, as I read this out, it almost could be like a letter. I just want you to actually let this, let this come to you as though it is a God speaking to you, okay? Um, so I'm going to use the word son, but of course it's son and daughter. Son, I have something important to share with you. Son, I'm sending you out into a world where I'm going to shake it because I have something very good that I'm going to bring about. Son, you are going into places where there will be a lot of fear and you will be in a culture where people don't know me and so they will handle the shaking very differently to how I want you to handle it. Son, I've been building discipline into your life because being disciplined is a key part of being able to walk during this time of shaking I love you son I have the best in mind for you and all my children son aim to keep peace with people as much as you can you are to operate in peace My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Let peace guard your heart. Son, learn to value what I value. Don't be fooled into thinking that sinning doesn't matter. Sinning can cause you to fall it can lead you into entanglement and compromise. It can affect your judgment and shift your values. Without holiness, you may fail to see me. Son, when you face stuff that seems too much, overwhelming, my grace will be there for you. Don't miss my grace. You could if you don't look for it, but it will be there when you need it most. I am excited for you, my son. And when you see what I am bringing about, your heart of worship will move to a new level. My kingdom is coming. My kingdom is an unshakable kingdom, and it is coming in your midst. When you pass through the shaking territories, know that my kingdom is at hand. And do not be afraid. Glory is round the corner. Kingdom breakout is occurring. I believe that this is God's heart and word towards us. The thing is, his kingdom doesn't come in a way that our natural minds think it should or how it should. Our natural minds are biased towards us and everything that we need and want. Because of this, our human nature may well actually fight against the coming of his kingdom even though we are still Christians, okay? That's just a bizarre concept, that we can be Christians 
before Christ and his return, but at the same time really struggle and feel offended by his works and what he's actually doing. Don't worry, though, and don't be condemned. Okay? God knows <laughs> that this is our condition. And it's perhaps, I believe, it's part of God's work to sort of keep working on us and remove hooks and baggage and stuff in our thinking that sort of can pull us away as his kingdom comes. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Let me, there's lots of examples in the Gospels on this, but I just want to take one particular example that was in mind um, as I was looking into this. You know, we know that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. You know, he was the forerunner to Christ. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. But he was right at the cusp of the new thing that God was doing. John's message was this. Repent and be baptised, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John went around preaching this message continually and to many people, and many came to him and heard this and were baptised. But when the Pharisees came along, he added, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, despite having a clear mandate from God that pointed to the coming of Christ, this statement hints as well at the fact that John still had a mindset that was influenced by the Old Testament and the consequences of not following the law. And I don't think it would be unreasonable to think that John the Baptist was expecting that when Jesus was revealed, he would start to bring the wrath of God onto mankind at that time. But what actually happened? Well, we know John was thrown into prison. Maybe he was expecting it, maybe he wasn't, we don't know. But at some point during his prison stay, it is clear that John started to doubt that Jesus was who he was, even though he had experienced the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus at his baptism and know, and God saying to him, this is my son. The shaking that John was experiencing was starting to affect the things his thinking on things. And so we kind of know as well, it says that he sent messengers to Jesus to inquire, are you really the Christ? I'd really like to just consider for a moment Jesus' response from Matthew 11. I don't know if we've got that as well. Matthew 11, Jesus says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Is this not like the most grace-filled statement from Jesus? John, it may not be, it may not look like you think it should look, 
but it is much better. You have done your job well done. Don't let offence of what I'm doing get into your thinking. I think that when that word was spoken to John, it came with grace. It came with this lifting of his spirit, lifting of his spirit that gave him the thing that he needed to complete the last part of his journey, which was what? Being beheaded by Herod. You know, God's grace came to John in that moment of great doubt and gave him what he needed to go through that last horrific thing. Just go back a little bit on that as well. Because what John had been going around and saying is very familiar to us, isn't it? Repent and be baptised, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Actually, let me just read it and say it a slightly different way. Change your mind and be baptised, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind and be baptised, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was being used as the fulcrum for the change that God was bringing in. A complete mindset shift from the fear of the wrath of God, if you don't obey, to the kingdom is at hand. It's overflowing with righteousness, with peace, with joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's available to anyone who isn't offended by Jesus. What a way that John had to prepare for. Did you know, right, Jesus, he invites us to have our minds changed by him. If we say yes... Yes, I want that. He sets about changing our minds, our thinking. He brings thoughts and ideas and things into our life that will help bring about this in us. He delivers grace to us in various forms for this purpose. Sometimes, you know, we may feel his hand on us and feel him whispering a word into our heart. Other times it may be just like an idea or something just happens and you think he's beckoning us towards this. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Yeah, how Jesus saw him on the tree. He says, tonight I want to come and spend the night with you. And like a night with Jesus, Zacchaeus' whole mindset on things was changed, wasn't it? It's like his values were transformed. He wasn't any longer ripping people off. He was giving generously to the poor because he tasted the holiness of Jesus. And when you taste the holiness of Jesus, you don't want anything else. You know that is it. That is the thing worth pursuing more than anything else. So the Holy Spirit we'll set to work transforming our minds as we keep seeking God and his righteousness and remembering and living in our sonship and everything that he speaks over us. What an equipping for a Christian explorer. 
being sent into shaking territories. You know, we may think, I could never cope with that. How on earth I could ever face that? You read stuff in the Bible about people being sawn in two or having their heads cut. You think, no, well, when you need it, his grace will be there for when you need it. And, in, and he will prepare you. He will build you up, prepare you for the time, if you ever needed to do that. But remember this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, there is always kingdom breakout that will come on the back of the challenge, the stuff. This kind of leads me to the final part of our equipping today. And in a moment as well, I just... You know, I will invite us maybe to have a response to what um, I'm saying because, you know, I I know that there's stuff in here. I need God more, more, work in me more, Lord. So the final verse I just draw your attention to. Romans 12, verse 1. If we can put it up. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Living sacrifice, that's a scary word to one mindset. (laughs) But actually, you know, in fact, it reminds me of Abraham and Isaac. It reminds me of the fact that God asked something that looked pretty horrible. That he drew them up to the altar. That they were in an uncomfortable place. They felt vulnerable. They felt exposed. They were very aware of the weaknesses and what could happen. It was a dangerous place. But God did come through. And he provided the miracle. But Hebrews 12 would point us to there being a couple of conditions on this. And before I say these, we must remember that it's it's all about we are sons and daughters. Okay? This is a word for sons and daughters. So our sonship is never at question in what we're being asked here. The first condition Will we take up the offer? Will we take up the invitation to go to the altar of vulnerability? Will we say yes when God says, actually, I want you to go and do this. I want you to take a little step out. You know, being aware of our vulnerability is okay. You know, sometimes our vulnerability, being too aware of our vulnerabilities and weaknesses will stop us from actually doing the very thing that God is saying, I want you to go and do this. The second condition, and this has been my conviction, actually, is that it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy. My conviction is that we are called to walk in holiness. Now, Hebrews 12 has a lot to say about holiness. And again, you know, we are sons and daughters. It says things like, you know, don't get involved in sexual immorality. 
don't get involved in stirring up division. But probably the hardest bit for me in it is that it points to Esau. And what did Esau do that was considered unholy? Esau sold his birthright for a meal. Okay, I would have thought on the scale of sins, that isn't like right up there, but actually that's what's stated in Hebrews 12. Holiness means that our values are in the right place and we're able to make right judgment calls on things, that our values are actually orientated around God's values, for what is important, what is actually really important. Esau had missed it completely. Actually, your birthright is really important, and you let it go. I have two little testimonies that I want to share where I just let it go. One was when I was not a Christian, <clears throat> and it's a silly thing, and I was at university. You know, I was studying, I was doing a degree, and uh, the night before my, um, my last finals, I went out of the pub. Stupid. But do you know what? I think it's the difference between me getting that level of grade and that level of grade, okay? And I got the lower grade. You know, that's, I'm not, it's not changed who I am. It's just that there was something, there was an opportunity to have done really well, and I didn't perceive it. Now, the other one that's a lot more recent. <laughs> Last week, it was, you may see me hobbling, actually. <laughs> Last week, um, I, I like to play tennis. It is my desire, and uh, it's my um, hobby I enjoy. So, um, and I've been playing quite a lot recently, and I... Um, I usually go and play on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, I was all set to go and play. And it happened to be my birthday as well. So I'm like, even more, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm allowed to go and play tennis on my birthday. <laughs> but do you know what? I just had this little nudge. Like, inside, it was like God saying, play with John T. Don't go to tennis. Just, just play with John T. And it's not like I don't play with my son. I do. But there's this little nudge. Inside, and I'm like, no, tennis. <laughs> so I'm like, and I try and, Johnny, come with me to tennis. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like, I just went, about 10 minutes into playing, serve, pop, my shin, my calf just pops, and my leg completely, I can't walk. And, and that was me, written off. Fortunately, by his grace on my legs, a lot better than it could have been in the fact that there was a Christian there who prayed for me as well, which is hallelujah. But, you know, that, the point is that I think God was nudging me. He was saying, don't go. I, he didn't then make my... I don't believe that he made my leg bust. But he was saying, actually, there's a better way over here. And I ignored it. Yeah, and I just went and did what I felt was... Do you know what? I think that is the tuning in that God is seeking for us, is that we would learn to be more sensitive to his, what he is saying, what he is wanting for us right now. And that is very personal, and it is into our own individual lives. So, so I'm, I'm kind of um, coming to an end in this, and I really um, want to just invite, invite you to, to 
hold these two questions um, before you. First of all, do you, do you um, struggle with vulnerability or your awareness of your vulnerability to the point that you feel if God said, just do this little thing, you might struggle because you naturally are a very timid or fearful person. I'd like you, in a moment, I'd, you know, maybe when the band come back, we can just say, look, just, we're going to stand up and we're just going to offer it to God and say, Lord, you are a consuming fire. Please come and take away and change my mind and deal with this stuff where my, I'm too aware of the things in me. And the, the, the second invitation is to say, God, you know, I am aware, actually, that I'm not very good at listening to your will. Um, and I've allowed things to come in that are um, unholy, you know, and I need to get rid of that, you know, whatever it is. You know, each one of us is very individual in that. So uh, maybe, I don't know, are we able to um, get the guys back to, to play? And That'd be great. In the, in the song uh, you guys played at the end, like, the word that grabbed me... Um, was that Jesus is married to us, you know, and I think that is so exciting that Jesus is married to us and he, he will um, work it out in us, okay, you know, and it's good for us to keep remembering that. But he will, he will want us to respond as well. So, so guys, maybe we can, we can all stand up and, and just ask yourself, God, am I... Is there an area of unholiness in my life that I need to get your healing on? Or am I really struggling in actually stepping up to the altar if you call me? So I just thank you so much, Lord, that your grace abounds to us. But we want to go deeper. We want to go into the places where you may shake. And we will know what the right thing is to do and we will do it. Lord, because we want the world to see that Jesus is real and alive. We want to be Christian explorers into those territories. And I just ask, God, please come and help us as we journey in. Please come and remove the stuff that stops us from going deeper. Lord, we just ask your help in Jesus' name.